Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Good morning, Park City. My name is Erin. If I haven't gotten to meet you before, I'm going to read Psalm 37 today. Fret not for yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, and those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows, and bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times, but in times of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, and those cursed by him shall cut off, be cut off. The steps of man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his ways, though he fall, he shall not cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. You have been young, now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God's heart is in his heart. The law of God is in his heart, and he does not let his steps slip. The wicked watches from the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him in his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, for he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen the wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he is no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed, and together the wicked the future shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him.
Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, uh, worship team. I just want to speak to the tension in the room. You're like, that was 40 verses. Does he know there's a game today? Right? Okay. I do know that, which is why I'm not going to talk about all 40 verses. I just thought it might be nice to sort of hear it in, in its uh, wholeness. Normally in this moment of the service, we take a break and have a chat with the neighbor. But after, there's been a lot of chatting. You probably have said all there is to say and you're anxious about the game. Uh, so I'll just, uh, I'll just go ahead. You guys look good in red. You, you look, you look good. I, um, uh, I, 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 during the winter, uh, I, I've been, I, I've been swimming and, uh, which I hadn't done in a while and was like, it'll be, this will be fun. You know, I like running. This will help me. So when it's warm again and I run, uh, I'll be ready. And, uh, so I've been swimming. So naturally, you know, I bought, I bought goggles, right? Cause, uh, you know, and. That's what you need when you swim. Uh, and uh, they came in the mail, and I opened them up, and I, immediately I knew, I'm like, oh, I put them on, I'm like, I already felt like Michael Phelps, right? I looked in the mirror, and it was, an imme- it was like it was a visible transformation. Uh, except that I put them on, and I was like, man, these things, and they were like tinted and dark. I'm like, these are really blurry. Like, that's weird. I'm like, maybe it's just like, because I'm not in the water, you know. In the water, it like adjusts and it'll be great. So I, you know, I, hadn't, I wasn't going to the pool yet. I had them out and the kids are playing with them and we're talking about them one night and Jess pulls them on and she's like, Matt, these are, they're like magnified. They're prescription goggles. And, uh, <laughs> oh, okay, right. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't my best moment. So I packaged them back up and, and sent them back and got the proper ones. And they really made me look like Michael Phelps, but... Uh, but but I, I want to suggest to you, as we've considered already this morning uh, with my with daughter's glasses, uh, I, I think we, we this, this, so we're asking you to step into Psalms with us for a few weeks to pick them up and kind of pray them with us. Uh, last week was Psalm 4, today is Psalm 37, and I know it's long, but I just wanted to kind of hear it in its entirety because I think the Psalm sort of pulls us into an acknowledgement, a confession that our view of the world is distorted, right? That the way we see the way our hearts are prone to see the world uh, is, is, is distorted, is skewed, and that we need a renewed perspective. And um, this prayer does that, right? The, the, the Psalms, we made this observation last week, aren't necessarily meant to just kind of be read and taken in. They're meant to be practiced, like pick them up and, and try them on in, in a sense. And, and if we pick this one up, we're immediately confronted with our tendency to fret, Right? It's, it's mentioned twice. We're going to take it sort of, I'm just going to sort of summarize it so you guys don't have to be too worried. Um, although you're like, we've heard you summarize before, Matt, and we're a little nervous. Um, but this, the, the prayer just admits right up front that we are fretful people. And that the source of that fretting is looking around at others and comparing ourselves. Specifically comparing others, in this case, who, who don't sort of, uh, aren't, uh, you know, it's the wicked and the righteous. Those who have not sort of committed their life to following uh, God in this case and, and acknowledging, wait, there seems to be a lot of good happening over there and maybe not so much happening over here. And the, and the result of that sort of comparison leads to, to fretfulness, uh, which is an interesting word. It's a big word. I think, I think fret is beautiful. It's mentioned twice in the first 11 verses. I mean, right, right out of the gate, if you pick this prayer up, you're immediately confronted with, with your tendency in mind to fret, that my disposition is such that as I observe the world, compare myself to whatever is happening around me, fretfulness is a common uh, response, worry, resentment. Maybe you're like, I'm not a fretter. 
Don't call me a fretter, right? I don't know. It's a big word. Worry, resentment, jealousy, anger, pity, all these kinds of things, self-pity, all these kinds of things, which begs the question, like, was King David online? Right? I, I don't know. Right? This feels like a, a prayer tailor-made for the virtual space. You guys, there was nothing there. You're like, nothing. I'm like, it feels like a prayer tailor-made for a world in which we craft and brand ourselves up against everyone else, like uh, online. And uh, Anyway, I, I, I feel this prayer confesses or draws you and me into this confession of admitting our fretfulness, that our skewed perception of the world as we look around on our own inevitably leads to this kind of worry. I, uh, I, you know, there's a big game today, and uh, I I read an article this week uh, that I really enjoyed. It was long about a famous Chiefs quarterback, uh, Joe Montana, right? Yes. He's, he is like, yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, It was a write-up on Joe Montana, which was in- intriguing to me because, like, uh, it's, it's the Super Bowl Sunday. I, this is the one time of the year I'm going to talk about football, all right? Uh, I have permission, carte blanche, like, football it up. Here we go. So, so this article on J- Joe Montana uh, was talking about the sort of what happens in, in that world, right? And he's, his was just an example of, like, being replaced. You remember he's, like, Super Bowl's in his history, he was winning an, uh, his championship. I forget which division he played for. Game, got hurt. Steve Young went in, and, and Joe Montana was like, he never got a chance to sort of fight for the job again. That, that was it. He's like, why didn't I even get a chance to, like, compete for the job, given sort of I'd had a, a, a banner year, all these kinds of things, right? So this article is kind of writing about that move, that, that tension in, in sports, specifically through the story of Joe Montana. It's a big setup. But the author said something that struck me. He said, bitterness is such a common affliction of once great athletes, such that it's only noteworthy when it's absent, right? So guys that have experienced sort of reached the pinnacle and then they, they, they kind of have to fade into sort of whatever comes next. And they're kind of always looking back and around to what they had or what might have been, if they could have continued, all those kinds of questions that bitterness is a natural result. But then he did, he, he went on to cite some anecdotal examples that just, I, I kind of sort of like reverberated. I've built them up so you're going to hear them and be like, but I'll just share them with you anyway. One was Ted Williams, a famous baseball player. Um, that it's said that he burned every, fa- every family photo. Uh, Michael Jordan right, is another example. He kept trying to get down to his playing weight of 218 years after his retirement. Right? It's kind of holding on, this kind of ache for like, you know, as he looked around. But then this example, uh, the story he says goes about Mickey Mantle who used to go sit in his car during rainstorms, drunk and crying, because the water hitting the roof sounded like cheers, right? The elusiveness of like looking around at what they had or, or, or what maybe they felt like they knew they could live up to, but in this moment was sort of out of reach. The, the emptiness of that moment and the fret and ache that it sort of awoke, I, I feel like is a... Um, a truth acknowledged, a confession evidenced in this prayer in Psalm 37. It, it acknowledges that as we tend to look around or look back in all of those places, that this ache is present, but it invites us into like another 
way in and through the world. In verse 2, it says to look forward, like, like uh, our vision can be so short-sighted. So this, this is an invitation to, to take a longer view in this beautiful description of grass withering and those kinds of things. And, and also to look up, to commit our way to the Lord, to trust him, to acknowledge that our lives are not our own, these sort of inward dispositions of perspective. But then in verse 3, this sort of really just direct, do good, do good. In the midst of all that fretting and worry, the invitation to do what you know is good. Just do, do what you can where you are, do good. And then in that space, right, we, we find our perspective changing. Like it does something to our fretfulness. I've thought of other examples, but we don't have time for them this morning. Um, all sorts of sort of research and stuff on sort of uh, the, 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 the activity of doing good, volunteering, serving, all those kinds of things, and what it does to like anxiety, fretfulness. It's interesting where this first stanza, these are sort of loose um, uh, structure here, but this first stanza in verse 11, the meek will inherit the land. I mean, this is the beatitude. This is, this is what Jesus picks up. In the Sermon on the Mount, this beautiful sort of moment that uh, even culturally sort of has some resonance, the meek will inherit the land. This is uh, the soil from which that uh, beautiful truth will come to us, and it's rooted here in this prayer that admits our fretfulness and our tendency to just look at the world the wrong way around. But thankfully, the prayer doesn't leave us there. Again, these are summary statements. There are lots of details in here we could unpack. The, 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 the next stanza, just a broad, stanza, broad category, it moves us from our fretfulness in those first 11 verses and maybe how to sort of pray in the midst of all that to, to another observation, which is God's faithfulness. The sort of middle chunk of the prayer uh, pulls us into the truth because, because there's the acknowledgement that, 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 that meekness is weakness, Right? That, that, that to look around, to sort of buy into that uh, approach, is, is like that doesn't work. That's not how the world work, works. Look around. The wicked prosper. The righteous, what? God, where are you? And in the middle of this prayer, in the midst of that acknowledgement, the prayer draws us into a, a, a reminder, a confession of God's faithfulness. That in the midst of our fretfulness and what, what, what it might look like in the world, is the underlying truth that may be hard to see at times that God is faithful. God is faithful. I love this image in verse 17, and then it's, it's picked up again in verse 24. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. So the perception is, no, that, that is strength, right? When I look and compare, like that is strength. Meekness is weak, but, but he says, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And then in verse 24, though he fall. Though he fall in admission that we will, in fact, fall, he won't be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I, it's a beautiful image. My kids are 10 and have recently discovered roller skates. I tried to keep them a secret for a long time, right? But this Christmas was the one. It was their cousin's fault. They had been for a visit. I'm like, this is a thing, right? Like, it's not. So they wanted roller skates. So we have taken a couple of trips to the rink. They're like, come out here with us, Daddy. I'm like, I'm older than you. And uh, it's been a minute. 
but okay, right? So you get out there, and I'm like, I'm just, I'm the awkward, like, I was there a week or two ago, and there's a dad, he must have been a hockey player, he, I just, I wanted to push him over, he just was backwards and forwards and pirouetting, and I'm just like, oh my, give me a break, and, uh, and I'm, you know, and I'm like, I got this, right? Look at me, right? You, know, you try, you think you're okay, you stand up, and it's like, oh, right? You're back down, right? So I'm out there on the skates, and, you know, my kids are like, hold my hand. Like, are you kidding me? Right, like, I'm doing all I can to stand up, right? And this, I, they're like, we want to hold your hand. I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't work, right? I'm, I'm insecure in my own sort of ability here. But it, it, it brings this image, like Jesus sort of taking us by the hand. I, I thought it's like, it's like when you watch uh, parents with a toddler, you know, and they're, maybe they're, it's a messy parking lot or something, and, and the parent is kind of walking along, and the kid's like, you know, and the parent just kind of takes their arm. It looks like the kid's doing all the work, but the, parent, the parent's got them, right? They're, they're the ones upholding the, the hand. And, and this is the image we find in this prayer, that in the midst of all the uncertainty that, that might seem to come with a truth like the meek inherit the land. When you look around and compare, and you're like, maybe in your vocation and work, you try to live like Christ, but all around you, like these priorities don't seem to, they, they don't lead to success, right? You try to live with integrity and follow Jesus in your neighborhood or vocational space or work or family, and all around you, you're like, you know, this doesn't seem to kind of hold up. Uh, in the midst of that struggle, there's the promise in this prayer that regardless of how things look, God has taken you up by the hand, and he's not some awkward middle-aged dad trying to roller skate, right? He is secure. His steps are certain. His grip is firm, and it's his, not yours, that makes the difference. So in this prayer, as you pick it up, our fretfulness is confessed up front, and, and in that confession, if you pray these words this week, you'll be pulled into remembering that God is faithful regardless of how things may look around you, which brings us again to sort of where it lands in the last stanza, where we start with worry and concern, a misguided perspective. In this prayer, discovering that God is faithful, we find ourselves secure with a future hope. There's this beautiful image near the close of the prayer. The, 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 the wicked, he says, who appear to be secure, they pass away. Behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. In verse 37, make, mark the blameless, behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. This promise of, of security, a, a future. Again, in this stanza, we're drawn into doing good. You, you might think as you look around at the world, the observation is made. The wicked, when you kind of look out for yourself, you hoard, you grab, you, you, you take what you can get, particularly if you're in a position of weakness, right? You're just, but, but he says, no, the, the, the life lived in this truth is now open and generous and can, can do good, can live towards justice, all these kinds of beautiful images because it's no longer expending all this energy to, to sort of make its mark in the world or keep up with whomever or whatever is the source of comparison. I, uh, in, if you'll allow me, I want to take you back to Joe Montana, the famous Chiefs quarterback you guys remember, really famous from the Chiefs, really built, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so at the end of that article, uh, there, there's a, uh, some further observation. As the author is writing, he's interviewing Montana. He's with his family, his kids. He's talking to him. But he's also talking to Steve Young. You guys remember Steve Young? Yeah. 
who, who took his place, right? And it was just, it's the psychology of it was just really fun because Steve Young is like, I admire this guy. He's a legend. I respect him. And yet at the same time, he's like, I, I want him to fail so I can take his place, right? There's that tension of like, I need you out of the way because I need more first team reps, right? I got what it takes. That, that tension that, that plays out over and over and over and over again in that world in particular. So it's an interesting moment, right? So he's like talking to Montana and you can feel the sort of bitterness he referenced earlier. They're like, why didn't they give, like, they didn't even let me compete. And then he's talking to Young, who's like trying to wrestle with like, I admire this guy. And yet the truth of it is, I really wanted his job, right? And, and so he's talking with, with Steve Young and Steve Young slips into like a, um, an analogy or, or, or an, an, an image. He says, um, he, he kind of, he's just talking about that feeling, right, of, of, of just always, you know, acknowledging Montana that he could have done more. The author as well observing, right, because of the injury, because Steve Young took his place, there's this feeling, he calls it a personal calculus, like I could have done more. If there were more metrics, more touchdowns, more success, more yards, more titles, there was more in me to accomplish, and it was taken, it was taken from Steve Young, Steve Young puts it like this. He says, every player in history wants to write more in the book. I think about that all the time, he says. It was true for Montana. It's true for me. Every player that's played wants to, wants to write more in the book. And then he says this, no matter how much you write, you want to write more. Right? The elusiveness of, of sort of security and legacy in, into the future. Right, the, the, the ache you take, I could have, or all of those things. And, and the author says, and then, and then Young went quiet. It's an interesting observation to me when I pick up this prayer that acknowledges my tendency to fret and look around at all the numbers of people around me or in my own life in the midst of all that to draw me into the story that there's more going on that I can see that God is faithful. And then out of that, the result is that I'm no longer sort of caught up in that game of trying to secure any kind of legacy because God holds that future. He holds that hope. It's where the prayer ends. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them, delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. If I had to summarize the prayer, which, you know, you're never going to say everything in a summary. You're like, I thought you were this is the official summary. That, that as you pray this prayer, as you pick it up, you're drawn into the truth that rest and life are found in the kind of help that God gives and the, the kind of security that he is himself, his presence with you. Like a parent scooping up a toddler. That rest and life are found in the help that God gives and the security that his presence. I have for a long time in my life, um, Held on to some of the verses earlier in the prayer. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You're like, man, that looks beautiful on a pillow and not always lived experience, right? You carry whatever sort of aches of the unfulfilled desires. And so I've sort of held that with, the, with verse five, commit your way to the Lord and he will do this. Trust in him and he will do it. He will do this. He will bring forth your righteousness as light. The justice of your cause like the noonday Son, I've leaned into those at times when I can't make sense of circumstances that I am in, reminded of God's faithfulness. But today they take me to the moment we celebrate in communion. 
prayer of Jesus on a cross. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm, I hear echoes of that in, in this prayer. Commit your way to the Lord and he will do it. I think, I think as I pray through this prayer, I'm drawn to the work of Jesus on the cross that we celebrate in communion. I mean, you can feel, you could feel it, right? Jesus on the cross, wickedness certainly prospers. There's nothing for meekness in, in the earth. This is as far as it gets anyone, right? You, you, you can feel it, Jesus praying on the cross, leaning into the hidden faithfulness of God, right? Where in all of this is the Father? And yet caught up in that story that despite how far gone things looked, God was at work. And then the promise of future hope, you hear echoes of resurrection, Jesus on, on the cross. I, I think praying this prayer draws us, pulls us into the work of Jesus Christ. The promise that life is found in the help that God gives and in the security that his presence with us brings. And nowhere is this more tangibly present to you and me than the person and work of Jesus. I, I, I pick this prayer up and, 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 and it occurs to me as we celebrate communion that Jesus knows both the fretfulness of this prayer, he knows it, but he's also the, the answer to it. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.